Hey, turn your Bibles, the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9. It is great to see you. I've missed you the last couple of weeks. I was, in a, I was in Washington, D.C. on a planned trip. It was about 100 pastors with David Barton, and it was a spiritual heritage tour of our, of our capital. Uh, it was amazing to me how the historical revisionists have made us think that America was not a Christian nation. Uh, 133 statues in the capital uh, 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 for men and women. 25 of them were preachers. I went in the great rotunda room, the great portraits and pictures. You realize that there were two church services, one baptism and one prayer meeting portrayed on the walls of the rotunda. And on the top of the Capitol dome, it was a depiction of Hebrews. Remember when it talks about the heavenly witnesses looking down on us? Well, it was a picture of people and angels looking down on George Washington. I stood in the very place in the Capitol where they used to have church services in our Capitol. Come on now. Thomas Jefferson, when he was around, uh, supposedly writing separation of church and state, he's having church in our nation's Capitol. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. Went to the Holocaust Museum and the Smithsonian, uh, saw the horrors of what can happen when a deluded and a deceived man gains power and literally takes the lives of millions of people. Uh, the week after, the only bad thing about uh, Washington, though, is uh, I picked up a virus, a respiratory virus, when I was up there, I guess, in the back of a cab, and uh, I was just sick for a while, missed a week unplanned, and then my nephew uh, had a wedding that was, uh, didn't make it to the calendar on time, and my sister informed me that if I didn't go to the wedding, I couldn't be in the family anymore, so <laughs> that's, that's where I was last week, and I uh, preached at my dad's church. But anyway, I, I'm glad I'm here. This is my home. It's not just the church I go to, it's not just uh, where my job is, but you're my spiritual family. And uh, that's what church is supposed to be like, is, is a family of believers sharing the journey together. But honored to be with you today. I'm starting a new series today called God Is. God is, dot, 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 and each week we'll add something about the nature and the character of God. We'll be going to the Bible to answer this big question, what is God like? And uh, let's start with a little man on the street video, and you can see the wisdom of some of our fellow American citizens. Well, I think he's still interested in us. He hasn't forgot about us. It's not based on any facts, and there's, no, there's nothing that anybody could pull on anyone and make them believe in something with no facts like how religion is. And I know there's, there's way more facts on aliens than there are on any type of religion, but everyone wants to be in denial about it. The creator of all, heaven and earth and mankind. He's like a higher being. Are you That's being how I pictured yeah. him. Okay. Um, I just, I don't know. I think he's special. Oh, okay. He's kind of like, like people admire movie stars and he's kind of like a movie star. That big person shaking his finger at you. I don't know. Some the guy that's up there looking after you, making sure you do what you're supposed to do. Somebody that is not only perfect but without sin. Don't know if there is a God. Um, I call it ultimate reality. Um, I believe there's some kind of ultimate reality, but I don't think it's anything that our minds can comprehend. Ultimate reality and aliens. We believe lots of different things, and everybody certainly has the right to believe what they want to believe. But how many know we don't have the right to define who God is? How many know He is who He is, not who I believe Him to be or would perceive Him to be? And I would suggest to you that your understanding of who God is 
will determine the way you live your life. Let me say it again. If your understanding of God is misconstrued, if it's erroneous, it can lead you into a ditch in terms of how you live and the decisions you make. One such person, Karl Marx, uh, founder of communism, he made this mistake. He had a perverted view of who God was. Uh, Karl Marx wrote things like this. Uh, well, first of all, Karl Marx was baptized as a Lutheran. He was raised in a Lutheran church. Uh, his writings at 17 indicated he understood the second great commandment about loving people. But something happened. The books he began to read, this is why it's so important that how we educate ourselves, what's going into our children's minds, be it the television, the internet, in their public school classrooms. And somehow he became an atheist. And after becoming an atheist, he wrote things like this. He wrote, I walk as a God. I am great like God. I clothe myself in darkness like Him. And Judgment Day is nothing but a dream. And his deception, his, his, his erroneous view about who God is caused him to be responsible for the deaths of between 85 and 200 million people over the last hundred years or so by the hands of dictators across the world. Now, uh, I also did what most Americans do when we're looking for answers. I went to the God of Google. <laughs> and I typed in Google God. I said, what is God like? And I was amazed at the first answer that came up. The first answer was, it would, be like trying, uh, it would be like a slug trying to understand Einstein's theories to expect us to understand God. But listen, we do know something about God, but we are dependent on Him for revealing Himself to us. And He has done that through the Bible and through His Son, Jesus. Now, I'll give Google an amen on that one. But... So today, uh, I want to begin in Daniel 9, and this, even, this morning's message is called, God is Merciful. Can you say that? God is Merciful. I suggest to you that mercy, compassion, uh, the love of God are the greatest attributes, the dominant characteristics of who God is. Everybody has something that tends to define who they are. Now, this week we're talking about God is merciful, but God is not just the loving marshmallow man. Next week we'll talk about God is just. The Bible talks about God as creator, a loving God, a shepherd, but it also talks about God as our judge, the one who disciplines us, the one to whom one day we'll stand and give an account. And if you only see God, if you see God just the judging God, you'll be like the kid that said he's up there ready to smack me. Or if you're just like the marshmallow God, you'll be like the people that believe that you can do anything and it doesn't matter because God is just loving. So God is both. But uh, Daniel chapter 9 is where we'll look. God is merciful. Now, in the book of Daniel, the children of Israel had been in captivity for some 70 years because they'd sinned. Moses warned them some 700 years earlier, if they continued to sin, idolatry, pagan ways, sooner or later God would judge them, and it indeed happened. But the prophet Jeremiah said judgment would not be lasting forever. For 70 years they'd be in captivity, then they'd come back to their homeland. And how many know that's an act of mercy? Well, 70 years was about up, and Daniel prayed this prayer. Now, this is a part of what he said. He said, Daniel 9, verse 9, he said, The Lord, our God. Now, first of all, he's not the man upstairs. He's not a distant God, but he is a very personal, relational God. He is the God who walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He wanted relationship with them. And when the Bible teaches us that one day there will be a new heaven and a new earth, how many know we're not just going to heaven to hang out and have fun and hunt turkeys and ducks in heaven? I hope you hunt turkeys and ducks in heaven. and I hope I can shoot better there than I do now. But um, 
heaven is not just a place to go and live in a mansion and all those things. Heaven is a place to go and be with God. See, one day we'll see him, the Bible says, face to face. So he is our father. We'll have relationship with him in a real place called heaven. Now, uh, so Daniel has introduced God this way. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. First thing he said, merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. Now, rebellion is our sin. Sin led them into captivity. Sin has consequences in life. But God's first response to us when we mess up is not to smack us, but it's to be merciful, a desire to forgive us, a desire to restore us, and a desire to get us back on track. Come on, aren't you glad for that? And that's, that's God's primary nature. Now, it's like when we sin, sin is like, a, for example, when you're driving, if the speed limit's 60 and you're going 75 and the blue light comes up and the police lady steps out of the car and she says, sir, do you know how fast you're going? What are you looking for? Are you looking for justice or mercy? Yeah, you're looking, well, I was going to church and it's my responsibility to make the donuts and... and well, uh, my children are at home, and I just needed to get there. And I, I, you know, all the excuses we have, and the policemen are laughing. But anyway, we hope that we'll receive mercy, even though we have legitimately done wrong. They asked us how fast we were going. Hopefully, you tell the truth. But it's this same type thing spiritually. And God's first response to sin is His desire to forgive and give us mercy. That's what the cross of Christ reminds us of. So the definition of mercy: mercy means to show kindness instead of judgment to show kindness instead of uh, justice or judgment, and this is God's, uh, God's dominant characteristic. Now, I suggest the Bible is one continuous story of the mercy of God. You look at our forefather, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, uh, justice would have said when they broke the command, when they ate of that forbidden tree, God could have easily said, forget the human race. I've given them everything, and they don't have the good sense to make the right choice, so they're gone. But he didn't. When he sent them from the garden, consequences, he clothed them with the animal skin that we talked about. That animal gave its life, and God atoned for their sin. He covered them in anticipation of one day Jesus coming. I know Noah uh, and Noah and the ark. God could have easily wiped the world out, which he did, but he started over with a man that was living a righteous life. I mean, no, that's merciful. The children of Israel, they go in captivity, but they come back to their homeland. So the Bible is a book of mercy. When the scripture closes in the book of Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth, where we'll dwell with God forever and ever, it's because God is merciful that our sin didn't separate us from Him for eternity and consign us to a place called hell. Well, having said all that, though, the place I want to go to look at the mercy of God is Luke 15. So I want you to turn with me to Luke 15. Jesus will basically say one verse, and then He'll use three parables to explain what that verse means. There is the parable of what's called the, the uh, lost sheep. Uh, there's a parable of a lost coin. Uh, I don't have time to deal with that one. But then there's the, the parable of a lost son, a prodigal son. And they all illustrate how God relates to people who have wandered from him or turned their backs on him with mercy. Now, Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Uh, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Now, verse 2, there was a crowd there, but Pharisees and teachers of the law, these were the Jews, they were, they were not saved, they were not redeemed, they were not walking with God, they had religion and they were dangerous. And they came and they said, this man Jesus, and notice this phrase, and I want you to say it with me, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. Let's say it again, he welcomes sinners and eats with them. So my question is why? 
Why didn't Jesus hang out with just the church people? Why didn't Jesus just hang out with those that had right things? Why was Jesus hanging out with what we would say today with the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the gang members? Why did, why, why did Jesus eagerly spend time with the adulterer, with the murderer? Why would Jesus want to even go to the jail cell in Moore, Oklahoma and spend time with the deceived Islamist? Why would Jesus want to go there? Why would Jesus spend time with the man that was on the newspaper this week? He was 56, 57, and he was, uh, went to trial because he had somehow sexually abused a three-year-old. Now, how many know there's bad and there's bad, but that's pretty much on the bad side as far as the way I'm looking at it. Why would these type people come to Jesus and he spend time with them? That's the whole purpose of this chapter. He'll explain it with three parables, but the answer is simply this, is because God is merciful. And what I want you to see there, the tax collectors and sinners, the drug abusers, blah, 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 they're no different than you and I. Come on. It's not good people and the bad people. I mean, no, we all carry this bad sin gene. It manifests more strongly in, in, in some than others. Now, this phrase that Jesus welcomed sinners, and it didn't just say he tolerated the sinner. Now, he didn't approve of the lifestyle, but he welcomed the person that was caught in the activity. A sinner, by definition, is quite simple. It means one who breaks God's laws. It's like a spiritual criminal. It's like a Christian. Oh, it's not a Christian, but it's like a person who, who knows the commandment but ignores the commandment. Uh, rather than loving your wife as Christ loved the church, you beat her. Uh, rather than a, ch a, a child honoring their parent, first great commandment with the promise, uh, they ignore their parent and they forget about them and never go see them when they're in the nursing home. I mean, it's like somebody living opposite, a sinner. Now, he tells parables, and parables are stories from everyday life that illustrate a spiritual truth. Parables from uh, stories of everyday life. Now, this Luke 15 is a picture of a loving God who wants to help people in trouble. And how many know, friends, that's all of us. It's a story of a loving God that cares about people that have wandered the wrong way. And people were attracted to Jesus because he offered them a better life in the days of the Bible, but today as well. We, I'm attracted to Jesus because he offered me a better life than I had when I was living really in the world. And I was a really worldly person. He offered me a better life. The life that I was living as a worldly guy, I mean, it just uh, it had nothing to, to compare to the life that I, that I have today. Uh, Matthew 9, uh, it said this about, about Jesus. Um, the Pharisees asked Jesus' disciples, Why does your teacher eat with such scum? <laughs> and Jesus heard this and he said, Healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. And it's a way of saying, Healthy people don't need a doctor, but people that lie continually, they need a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but a child abuser needs a doctor. Come on. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but someone that sleeps around trying to find love, she needs a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor, but the person who murders, the person who, who slanders people on Facebook, they, they need a doctor. Uh, healthy people don't need a doctor, but people that act with violence when they have a problem, they need a doctor. Hey, healthy people don't need a doctor. But the guy with the orange jumpsuit on the front page of the newspaper, he, he needs a doctor. Healthy people don't need a doctor. But listen, friends, people like you and I, all folks, listen, all of us have things that we struggle with. The healthy person doesn't need a doctor. The pornographer needs a doctor. 
Those people in the pornography industry, they need a doctor, friends. But people that look at pornography, statistics tell us it would be most of us in the room at some level. And you can't avoid it today. You're looking at your favorite old TV show or the news channel today, and before you know it, naked people are standing up trying to sell you something. And it pulls us into it. We need a doctor. See, the bottom line is sin is a spiritual sickness that's affected everyone. Let me show you a couple of pictures uh, of a guy that I knew a long time ago. Show me the guy with the little puppies up here. Then uh, that's a handsome guy. You see the likeness? Cute, you know, cute little coat there, loving dogs. I like that haircut. He had hair. Who said that? Who, who said that out loud? There is a good Baptist church down the road for you, Jack. Have you looked in the mirror lately? There's seats on the back row, too. But did you know, now this guy, I don't know, maybe he's 10, but you know, he's, he's innocent, lives out in the country. There's no internet. There's, no, there's only three channels back then, three, uh, three, five, and 13. You know, not a lot of filth in the world. The principals would pray over the intercom, but he was a sinner because he lied to his mom. And his grandma, we had a party line back then. That's when you had six or seven people on one phone line. And, and grandma was listening to him talk to his little girlfriend in school in the sixth grade. And, and he just swore to his mother that grandma was lying to him. Now, can you believe that guy? I, I can't believe it. So, so he was innocent. He even kicked his dog one time. I, I, I can't believe it. But you know why he did that? Because he's a sinner. Let me, let me show you his older brother. Um, he had hair, too. I'd have been smart. I'd have cut it off and kept it. Now, he looks like a sinner. You're shaking your head. You went out with guys like that. He's about 19. But he's a guy. If you wanted to smoke it, he knew where to go. He's a guy. If you were thirsty and you wanted something other than a Coke, he had it in the back of his car. He was a guy that was living in the world, and the more he lived in it, the more he liked it, and the more he pursued it. But something was missing in his life. He had a lot of good stuff on the outside, but, but he was a sinner. And then, you don't need a picture of this one. This, what? Yeah, he's up there. Yeah, there he is right there. He's a sinner. He's cleaned his act up a little bit. He doesn't kick the dog anymore. And he doesn't do a lot of things on the outward world, but his inner world, he still has struggles. See, Jesus said, if you're angry with someone without cause, it's just like murder. Sometimes I'm a murderer. Jesus said, if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, it's just like adultery. See, we may look good on the outside, but how many know we still have struggles that define us as a sinner, whether we're a down-and-outer or whether we're an up-and-outer. We're in this same boat, and we've got this same disease. Psalms chapter 51. Now, many scholars believe David wrote this after he sinned with Bathsheba. Imagine now, you killed your best friend so you could marry his wife. And you took her in, and you lied about the whole thing. And this is what he wrote. Have mercy on me. Please don't give me a ticket. Have mercy on me. Show me, hey, show me kindness rather than justice because of your what? 
This is the love. This is why I say God is merciful. Of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion, blot out the stains of my sin. Mercy, compassion, great love. For God so loved the world. It is the dominant characteristic of God. It does not excuse sin. Sin has consequences. Sin will be judged, come on, unless the judgment is taken by Christ. But I live live today with the consequences of the memories of my sins when I was 17, 18, and 19. Sin leaves a stain, and, 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 and the psalmist said, blot out the stain of my sins. Listen to this. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I, I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me, haunts me day and night. Can I tell you, that's a good thing. It is a good thing when you feel guilty when you've done wrong. It is a good thing when you're bothered. I, I had w- one of my children not too long ago. Yeah, maybe it's been a while ago. Uh, they went to a, a camp, a children's camp, and they come home. And a day or so later, we're riding in the car, and all of a sudden, tears streaming down their face. Dad, I just want to apologize to you because I lied to you. And I had no clue. But just like I used to lie, come on. My wife imparted that to her children. <laughs> but she felt guilt, stain. She knew she needed to confess. She need, needed forgiveness. Wash me, purify me. It haunts me. But look at verse 4. Against you and you alone, God, have I sinned. I have done what is evil in your sight. See, he knows justice could come. You will be proved right in what you say. Your judgment against me is just judgment. Look at verse 5. I was born a sinner. Yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. So we're all in the same boat. But he, like me, like you, recognize the fact that my sin is a sin against God and my rebellion will one day be judged, but I want God's mercy. Come on. I want God's compassion. I want God's forgiveness. And how many know we all need that? And listen, you can receive that today. Not from me, but I can just point you to the cross. You can pray in our service. We'll have a time to pray today where you can make a commitment to Christ, asking for His forgiveness, committing your life to Him, and find His mercy in your life. Because listen, sin will destroy your life, but in different ways. The meth addict, come on, you went to high school with them, you used to date them, and now they're in the newspaper. They used to be a linebacker, and now they weigh about 110 pounds. You could see through them, and they're a meth addict. And sin has just done this to their life. Or maybe you've been watching the news and Ray Rice, the elevator door shuts and he smacks his girlfriend. And now domestic violence is a huge topic. Sin comes in many ways, but sin also blinds us through success. And I'm going to show you a quick little video clip. It's from the movie God's Not Dead. Watch it if you've not seen it. But it's about a son. Mom has uh, dementia and she's dying. And uh, uh, this guy is rich. Imagine he's a hedge fund manager. He drives a Maserati. I mean, he's just got life on a string. And uh, he's sitting there talking to mom. So take a peek at this, and you'll see that not only sin affects the down and outer, but sin can affect the up and outer. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I mean, it's not like you even know who I am.
You prayed and believed your whole life. Never done anything wrong. And here you are. You're the nicest person I know. I am the meanest. You have dementia. My life is perfect. Explain that to me. Sometimes the devil allows people to live a life free of trouble because he doesn't want them turning to God. Their sin is like a jail cell, except it's all nice and comfy and there doesn't seem to be any need to leave. The door is wide open. Till one day, time runs out. The cell door slams shut. And suddenly, it's too late. Who did you say you were? Sin is like a comfy jail cell. And Satan didn't want to bother you with trouble because he didn't want to turn you to God. How I many know the down and outer is aware of their need for God, but the up and outer, come on, has the same need for God? Because sin is deceptive wherever it turns. Jesus offers a way out for all of us because, my friends, he welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Let's look at the parable, the first one, uh, verse 3. Jesus told them this parable, again, a story of practical things to illustrate spiritual truth. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and, say this with me, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now, can I tell you, it is not a good business decision if your sheep are, are, are in the middle of the pasture, it's night, there's predators, and they're not in an enclosed area for you to leave 99% of what you have and go after 1%. It's an acceptable business loss. But Jesus is saying, this is the way I am. I am so merciful that if you are lost, I will find you. If you were the only lost person and everybody else would found, I would come looking for you. I would do whatever was necessary till I found you because I care for you. I love you. And when he finds that sheep, listen, he, he, when he found the sheep, he didn't spank it and discipline in it because that was justice. He joyfully put it on his shoulders, and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And Jesus said, I tell you, in the same way, there will be, say this, more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who does what? Repent. Who repents than over 99 righteous who don't need to repent. So let's talk about this just a minute. What does it mean to be lost? Now, if you're in Dallas or Houston and you don't have a GPS and you don't have Google Maps and uh, you don't have paper maps, you're in trouble. How many know? I mean, you're just, you're in trouble. Uh, and you're scared to get out of the car because who knows what the person, you're in trouble. But, but spiritually, when we talk about a lost sheep, it means to be living apart from God. 
It means to be doing our own thing. It means to be going our own way. And, and we're like that as people. We're lost and don't even know it. That's why we need to be saved or to be born again when God finds us. If I could illustrate this way, I've got a, a dog. Actually, it's Rebecca's dog, and I feed it most of the time. But his name is Tucker, best little dog we've ever had. He's a, he's a, a, a dog pound dog. He is half, um, uh, half beagle and half uh, something. The only thing he's good for is to eat high dollar dog food and chase squirrels. Well, we took him to Mississippi a couple years ago or my mom's house, and I brought a chain because I didn't want him running away. So after two days, I felt sorry for him, and I unchained him, and all of a sudden he went, and he smelled a deer, oh, 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 and he started running away from home. Now, all I can think about, you stupid dog, I had you chained up. So I didn't leave you at home so you could be with us. You're here, you're safe, you're eating, and now you, I ought to just let you go and the heck with you. You ought to just eat dead skunk for a while because there's no dog food out there. Just run away, and if you don't want to come home, we'll find another dog. That would be justice. But let me tell you what mercy and love did. I love Tucker too now, but Rebecca really loves Tucker. And I just started running after that dog. Now, I knew all the hills and hollows. That's where I grew up. And every time I'd hear that bark, at least I'm too old to be running like a dog's running. But, but, but I was running after that dog. And I went about three-quarters of a mile up and down the hills. And somehow I had got in front of that dog. And then I was able to figure out where he was coming out of the woods. And all of a sudden I said, Tucker, Tucker, come here, Tucker. And all of a sudden he runs up to me. Now, and I felt like going, you stupid, what did you do? But I got out on my knees. And I held his little collar, and I said, what did you do, Tucker? Don't you know we love you? And then I put him in my arms, and I carried him all the way back to the house. Because that's what you do when there's someone that you love. Come on. And you don't throw them away, even though they deserve being thrown away. I'm telling you, that is what your Heavenly Father is like, friend, for lost people. Our Heavenly Father is looking for us when we're lost. When I was that, listen, when I was that college kid that I showed you, uh, and I was 19 years of age, now listen, I'm on a college scholarship, I'm the kicker on the football team, I mean, we're out for the first week or so of practice, it's by this big dorm, I'm telling you, every good-looking girl in the campus lived on that side of the dorm, she's hanging out the window and hollering and yelling, and I'm just, I miss it, you know, because I'm looking over at the girl. <laughs> Everything is good in my life, so to speak, you know what I mean? But, I mean, you find, and you understand what I'm talking about, when you start trying to find happiness apart from God, it's like life is a bucket with a hole in the bottom of it. And somebody offers you a drink of something, and they say, this will make you happy. And you pour some of that in the bucket, and it's kind of fun. You enjoy it a little bit. But before you know it, you wake up in the morning, and the bucket's empty. So you got to go find some happiness again. And before you know it, it's not only happening. Come on, whether you're drinking it or whether you're smoking it or whether you're sleeping around or whatever it is, but you keep putting that in the bucket. And you try to fill the bucket. And the problem was what you used to just do on Friday, now you're doing it on Saturday and Sunday. And before you know it, you're not only doing it on Friday night and Saturday night and Sunday night, but you got to wake up Monday morning, come on, because you're trying to fill a bucket with a hole in it. But it's not just addictive things. You may find your measure of success through degrees, and the bachelor's degree goes in the bucket, and then it's the master's degree, and then it's the Ph.D., and you get all that, and everybody celebrates it, and you put it on the wall, but the bucket still has a little hole in it because somehow it didn't keep it all from draining out what you were looking for, and you're trying to find something. So you fill the bucket up with money, and then you fill the bucket up with new cars and new things and new golf clubs, and before you know it, come on, your kid throws up in your car, and it doesn't have a new smell anymore and for some reason that didn't 
Because this is what lost people do. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for purpose. And what I'm telling you, you're not going to find happiness and purpose apart from a personal relationship with Christ. You're trying to fill a God-shaped hole with everything that this world has to offer. Listen, but Jesus is what we're looking for. I'm telling you, friend, it's real. It works. Now, what did he mean by this phrase? There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. Now, you don't hear the word repent on, on television, on the news. Uh, you, you don't hear it sinner on the news. But it's one of the most important words in the whole Bible because repentance is my key to having a happy life. Repentance simply means turning around. Repentance means stop going your way and start going God's way. That's all it means. Repentance means coming to a place in life where you realize God's ways are better than mine and I'll be happier if I go God's ways in my own. Jesus said this, his first... See, repentance is how lost people get found. They turn to Jesus. Mark 1, verse 15, the first sermon Jesus ever preached, Jesus said, repent of your sins and believe the good news. Change your hearts and lives and believe the good news. I want to tell you, friends, God has something better for us than, than, than abusing our spouse. See, God has something better for us than being addicted to drugs and porn and, and all that stuff. But when the world pulls us that direction, we've got to turn around and go towards the cross. We've got to turn around and go towards Jesus. See, that's what repentance is. Repentance as the world pulls us this way and not just bad things. Let me know, listen, it's a bad thing to abuse a child. But it's not a bad thing to get a graduate degree. Let me tell you, that's a good thing, and I encourage every young person to do it, but you're not going to find happiness in the graduate degree. You're going to find happiness as you turn your heart towards God, and if you've been having multiple partners in your life fooling around, you stop all that and you say, I'm going to wait until God sends me the right man or the right woman, and I'm going to commit my life to him or her. And that's repentance. See, repentance is, uh, you know what, rather than just reading People magazine, I'm going to start reading my Bible. To, repenting is, you know what, I'm going to start going to church regularly. It touched my heart today when we worshiped, and the Bible made sense a little bit more to me today. And then you got a friend trying to pull you back, and he says, hey, man, i got some really good stuff. I've just been to Colorado. I found some better stuff, and it doesn't cost you anything, and it doesn't leave you with a headache. And I can still drive. You're moving towards the cross. It's the most wonderful thing that can happen when we turn our heart towards Jesus. It's called repentance, and it is a good thing. Let me close with this last part of the, of, of the, of the uh, Scripture. The third parable... Verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father. Now, again, a parable is a natural story to illustrate a spiritual truth. It, now, the father here is a picture of our heavenly father's mercy. And the young son is a picture of a selfish, stupid person just like me and you. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. In other words, I want my inheritance now. And dad did something that was allowable. How many know God gives us free will? And our free will in the Garden of Eden can eat that piece of fruit, or that free will, come on, can take Bathsheba because I want her, and that free will can set up uh, Uriah to be killed just because I want it to be. 
Free will can let us do lots of things. But notice, he took this money and dad let him do it. Verse 13, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for Las Vegas, and squandered his wealth in wild living. Verse 30 says, squandered it on prostitutes. So this is a story of a selfish son and a broken-hearted dad who loves him anyway, and it is a picture of the mercy of God, how sin destroys and how God restores. You say, well, what's the big deal about sin anyway? I mean, you know, who are you to tell me what's right and what's wrong? Let me tell you what the big deal about sin is. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go. Do you think the first time that they smoked that meth or put it in their arm that they thought they would end up stealing their mother's wedding ring off her dresser so they could go buy some more for another night? Sin will always take you farther than you want to go. Sin will cost you more than you're willing to pay. You don't believe me? Ask the man who's losing his family because of his porn addiction. Sin will take you to a place you don't want to go. The embezzler who kept the money at the office or the business or the company and thought just a little bit, well, help me go eat at, you know, the new restaurant. Then I can get the car payment. And before you know it, he or she is on the front page of the newspaper. Sin does this. It offers something to make you happy, but in the end it destroys you. Well, that's what this kid got caught up in. But look at verse 14. After he had spent everything, there's a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. Can I tell you this? When you have your health, when you have money, when you have freedom, you don't need God. Now, you do, but you're not aware that you're living in that comfy jail cell. But when you begin to be in need, come on, you cry out to God. Now, look at verse 15. This man went, uh, he hired himself out, this young boy, to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to the field to feed the pigs. This is the worst thing a Jewish boy could do. Look at verse 17. He finally came to his senses. He finally came to his senses. What does that mean? He realized that what he was doing was wrong. It was time to turn around. It was time to repent. It was time to turn his heart back to his father, which represents God. Well, verse 20, he got up and he went to his father. And while he's a long way off, now think, what would you do as dad? This kid needs justice. He spent half your money. He wasted what you worked all your life for, and he really didn't deserve to be called your son. That's justice. Actually, he should be forced to live out in the barn for about six months. Come on. And he should be forced to do the bad stuff. That's justice. He's a long way off, and his dad sees him, and he's filled with compassion for him. Here's God and God's mercy. He run, ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is your heavenly daddy. I don't know if you had an earthly father that loved you, but your heavenly father does. And he loves us not just when we're doing good, but he loves us when we're a tax collector and sinner. He's merciful to us. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The father says, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and let's kill it. Let's feast and celebrate. Notice now, this son of mine was dead, spiritually dead, and now he's alive again. In other words, he's born again. He's saved. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Come on, give the Lord a good hand today. It is the nature of our God in heaven that God is a merciful God. Let me close with this little story here. And I'd like to pray for you today because I believe there's many of you that are here in this room today that need to make a step to Christ. 
This is not joining our church, but this is you getting right with your heavenly Father. This is receiving Christ. This is repenting. It's turning to walk with God. Listen, friend, August 15th, 1976, I wrote my name in a little Gideon's Bible, and it changed my life. It was the starting point for me. Today can be a starting point for you. Let me tell you a little illustration. When I was, you know, like I said, I was that guy that you saw on the screen, and I was searching for happiness. I'm telling you, I did everything I knew how to do. But I found myself at 19 years of age, I was too old to play organized baseball, and I was working for my dad all the time on the farm. And I would have to do something, you know what it is, to kind of help me when I woke up in the morning, and help me at lunchtime, and then help me to have fun at nighttime. But I'm driving the tractor cultivating crops in the middle of the day. That's my job. And I found myself crying. Now think about it. A 19-year-old kid's got a brand new car, that has got girlfriends, it has got all the things in life, got some nice clothes in the closet, money in their pocket, driving down this soybean row, weeping. Now, why am I weeping? Because I'm coming to my senses. I'm realizing that what I've tried to find happiness and purpose is not there. And what I did then is I thought if I ran away from my problems, that would solve it. So me, smart me, I decided to join the Navy. And somebody asked me before I left, what do you hope to do while you're in the Navy? And I said, this is the oddest thing. One thing I want to do is I want to read the Bible. Now, why would somebody come on with so much hair that you'd lose pencils and, you know, I mean, why, why would somebody live in that life say, I want to read my Bible? It's because something was missing in my heart, and I tried all the other stuff in life, and it wouldn't fill in the bucket, and something was pulling me. You know what was pulling me? It was my Heavenly Father. See, I'd heard enough about the Bible. I knew John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever would believe in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. I knew the truth, but I'd never responded to it. So I was going to run away from home. Well, guess what happened when I ran away in the Navy? I'm, I, I'm getting ready to fly off to boot camp, and a Gideon comes in this broom full of lots of folks that had been doing crazy things, and he held up a little Bible, and he said, I want to give you this because you can meet Jesus Christ, and Jesus will change your life. And I read that book. I took it with him. That was August 10th. Five days later in a Navy boot camp, I put my pillow over my head and in my tears, and I wrote my name, John Miller, in the back of that little Bible. And I want to tell you what, friends, I've been living for Jesus ever since. And I am not perfect. I have struggles. But it was at that point where I came to my senses, and I realized that my answer was in Christ, and I began to make a step to Him. And maybe you're here today, and you want to make that step. It could be the first time you've ever made a step to Christ, or maybe you used to walk with God and you've gotten off track, but today you feel God drawing you back. Whatever it may be, friends, we'd be honored to pray with you today and help you get right with God because your Heavenly Father loves you. If that's you this morning, friend, and you want our prayers, lift your hand up real quickly. Let me pray for you quickly this morning. Say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life right with God today. God bless you. Give her a big hand today right up here. Others today, say, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ today. God bless you, sir. Give him a big hand today. God bless you, sir. Somebody else today, say, pray for me. Pray for me. I want to get my life right with God today. God bless you, dear. God bless you in the back there. And God bless you, too. See, I don't want a thing from you. I'm not going to ask anything from you. I'm just going to point you to Jesus and tell you how to live the Christian life. Because here's the deal. We don't know when our life is going to be over. There's a picture. Put that picture of this guy up here. You Give me just another moment. His name is Cor Schindler. He, 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 he was, he's a Dutch man. 
he was going on a vacation. And uh, he just looks like anybody guy having a good time. And he put a picture on Facebook. Let me tell you the picture he put up there. Put the picture of this airplane. Malaysian Airlines. Uh, this is after the first crash that disappeared. And here's what he wrote on his Facebook page. He said, uh, uh, should it disappear, this is what it looked like. And unbeknownst to him, a couple hours later, that plane was shot down over the Ukraine. You just don't know. Now is the day of salvation. Before we pray, let me ask one last time. Anybody else? Say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to put my trust in Christ. I don't want to miss the opportunity. Anyone today? God bless you, dear. God bless you. God bless you. Somebody else back here? God bless you. All right, let's all stand to our feet right now. And I'm going to ask all you that lifted your hands, come let us pray for you now. Come let us pray for you now. Give them one more big hand right now as they're coming. All you that lifted your hands, come on up here and let us pray for you. A first-time step to Christ, getting back with Christ. Come let us pray for you. And our prayer team is going to meet you here. And we'll pray with you about anything that's going on in your world. God bless you, pal. Others, just come on up here. We're going to need our prayer team. They're going to be right up here. They're going to meet you. They're going to talk with you. They're going to pray with you. And they're going to give you something to help you live the Christian life. Come on, give them one more big hand. Others, say, I need to be here. I'm giving my heart to Christ today. I want Jesus to save me and give me a brand new start in life. All right, they're going to pray for them. They're going to give them some... Hey, let me, before you start praying, look, look at me just a second, you that came forwards. Look at me just a second here if you can. Well, they're already into it. Listen, just make sure they're, they're going to pray for you, but they're going to give you a little book that teaches you how to live the Christian life about reading your Bible and praying. We hope that you'll do that today. Listen, the way we're going to close the service, if you need prayer for anything now, we'd be honored to pray with you. Any troubles and struggles, you pray. We'll sing this song one last time and then dismiss. So if you need prayer for anything, come on up and they'll pray for you. I love you. God bless you today.